in verse 1 and 2. The Bible says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading, the preaching of your word tonight. And God, as we pray that, Lord, we can pray with confidence, knowing uh, that your word never, ever returns void. So God, we thank you for that. And God, I pray that, that I, that we, Lord, would have ears to hear tonight what your spirit would speak to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, these uh, two verses of scripture here, they're uh, maybe short, but there's quite a bit uh, in them. Uh, and, you know, with, with verse 2, uh, you, you could go wherever you wanted to go with verse 2, a lot to be said there. But, you know, as we jump in uh, to this text that uh, Peter, this, uh, this old fisherman, that he's taken up a pen and he started to put down on paper uh, the words that the Holy Spirit of God has put on his heart and that he desires to share with these people as his uh, self-description uh, here, as he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he is one of the twelve of Jesus' innermost circle who spent a great amount of time with him uh, through those years, three, three and a half years of his earthly ministry, that he was chosen of God uh, to be a keeper and a proclaimer of the truth and of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I said last week, uh, there are those who for varying reasons uh, that they try to cast doubt uh, on the, the fact that this rough-and-tumble preacher was actually the one who penned uh, this, this work. But, uh, they, you know, as you think about that, uh, there always has been, there always will be, uh, critics and skeptics of God's Word and who try to cast doubt, uh, you know, some in this, um, in this particular instance that uh, some says that uh, this, this kind of guy, he couldn't produce uh, such a work as this. Some say it was at the wrong time, it was the wrong uh, kind of writing, all those things. But uh, those same people, I believe that we could uh, we could have a snapshot of, of the pen in Peter's hand and they still wouldn't believe it. Uh, that's, just, that's just who they were and who they are. Uh, critics and skeptics of the, of the Word of God. Uh, so that isn't new. You're going to find that uh, with every, every book in the Bible is going to have skeptics and critics uh, concerning its content, uh, concerning its validity, uh, but, you know, probably those same ones do not believe in the inspiration of the Scripture anyhow. So uh, they, they would be out of luck one way or the other. Uh, but Peter, uh, that he is no doubt that he has uh, set himself apart as the author of this book. Now, he is writing it uh, to a group what he describes as the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, maybe your translation may say pilgrim, or it may say that they are foreigners. 
but whatever it says, it's the same, those three words mean the same thing, that uh, undoubtedly that the majority of these strangers, foreigners that he is writing to here, that they are Jews who have been scattered out of the homeland into this area that is known as modern Turkey. And so that because of varying reasons and particularly because of persecution that was starting, was not at the height uh, at this time, but because of persecution that was starting, that they had been uh, scattered, and they, that word diaspora there, a scattering, and that is used a couple of times in the New Testament, in John 7, 35, and James 1, 1. So it talks about those who have been scattered out of the homeland of Palestine. Now, uh, as I say, the majority of those, as the text indicates, that he was writing to, to these people, for the most part, who were Jews. But there's also references uh, in this text that would make us believe and I believe it's only uh, logical to conclude that there are definitely going to be Gentiles that are in uh, their number as well. But the main thing to remember is not whether they are Jew or Gentile, but is to remember that these Jews and these Gentiles that were scattered, that they were in the midst of persecution that they were suffering because of their faith, that they were going through trial, that they were going through difficulty, they were going through adversity. In eight different places, and I think he uses 15 different words to talk about the fact that these people, that they were suffering, that they were suffering. No, eight different words in 15 places, that they were suffering because of their faith in Christ. And so, uh, you know, we, we can't relate to that, but, but this is a preparatory work for us and that it should prepare our hearts for what may come our way so that we will be prepared, that we'll be grounded. And as I mentioned last week, that most of the world does not enjoy the freedom that we do. So around the world tonight, where this gospel may be preached, that this is right up their alley. This is where they are living tonight. Most of the world can identify very well with this text of Scripture. And so, yes, this book is very, very relevant to the majority of the world's Christian population. So there's no doubt uh, that they needed this. Now, as he uses the word strangers, uh, th this is an apt word, is a fitting word, because they were receiving persecution. They were undergoing the, the things that they were because they were unlike the world. That they were strange, that they truly were peculiar to those that were around them. They lived by a different code of ethics. They lived by different values. They had different love than the world around them. And so it became quite clear that there was something different and strange about these people. And so shouldn't that mark our lives as well? That we should be marked as strangers in this world, but I'm afraid that we must admit that we have become quite comfortable and we fit in nicely with the world that we live in. And that isn't, shouldn't be the case. It should be the case that we're different from this world. 
And so may God help us in our life that we will be committed, so committed to living a life of holiness and godliness that we will seem strange to those that we are with day in and day out. Now, Paul, in Philippians 3, in verse 20, that he wrote to them saying, but our citizenship or our communication, our life is in heaven, that we need to be reminded that we, that this is not our home, that we're just passing through this for a little while. And really our eyes, that our mind, that our heart should be set not on what we're going to get out of this world, but what we're going to get out of the world that is to come. That our communication, that our citizenship truly is in heaven. Now, tonight, as we think about these, this, I told you last week, there's a pretty large uh, land mass that it was uh, being written to that many people think that these, uh, these locales that are mentioned is probably the order in which this letter was going to be delivered and read all throughout uh, that region there and countless people uh, they were going to be affected by this beautiful and wonderful little book. So with the backdrop and the setting that these people were, in, were being persecuted and suffering because of their faith. Let's look in verse 2. It says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now, uh, you can, th this verse here is, is full of trip hazards. <laughs> Plenty of things to get tripped up on and to be chasing squirrels here and there on. But I want you to notice there's a few uh, things here that, that's really important. We're going to look at uh, four things quickly that you can bring out of verse number two. First of all, you see the sovereignty of God. You see the sovereignty of God in the first part of the verse. And then next you see the sanctification of the Spirit. And then you see the sinner's response. And then lastly, you see the Savior's accomplishment. Those four things in that one verse right there. Randall, you could preach three weeks on that, Boyd. I guarantee you, you could. Boy, man, what an what a awesome one verse. And it, it's, worth, it's worth giving our thought to tonight. And it, but I just want to share with you the meat and potatoes of it, really. And, uh, you know, here as he starts out verse number two with the word elect. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now... We, we tend to uh, buck up and back up and all these things when we start talking about the word election and, and you know, foreknowledge and, and all those things. We don't know what to do with it. And I tried to uh, deal with this when we were in the book of Romans. And so uh, I'm going to try to just kind of shore up some things that we talked about there. But uh, the elect, uh, you know, God's choice that God, that He is a sovereign God, and that He has 
uh, a part, you know, that he has a predetermined plan that God has from eternity past that he has set his heart and mind and his affection upon them that are his own. And as he has made those choices in eternity past, it's based on nothing that we have done. It's not our merit. It's not, it's not any of those things. But it is the work of God and God himself. Choosing out of his mercy, choosing out of his grace. He didn't look down in history and say, well, uh, there's old Joe. He's a good old boy, I'm going to save him. He didn't look down in history and say, Joe chose me first, so I'm going to choose him. That isn't what it means. That isn't what God has done. But we see here that he has chosen us according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Foreknowledge. Now, really means more than we might suppose. It isn't it isn't meaning as much as that God knew ahead of time, even though that we all know uh, that God is an all-knowing God. But when you look and check that word out, uh, that it means that God really has set his affection on and that God has set his love on people. And that is what it means more than the uh, looking ahead of time when you check that word out. The root of it is more that he has set his affection on people. So this topic of election, uh, that it is a lightning rod because of the extremes that are often held or sometimes held by some people. And so if we're not careful that we will uh, get off the map in the other direction trying to avoid the extreme, all right? And so what we must understand that this doctrine that it is taught in the Word of God, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, is immaterial. That it is taught in the Word of God and that it is something that we as believers that we should not be afraid of but that we should embrace. Do you think that these people, that they were in the, in the midst of, of, of trying to hang on for dear life? Do you think that this word election was supposed to discourage them? No! It was supposed to encourage them that the love of God had been poured out on them and they had been the recipient of his grace and mercy. That's the intent of it. That's the intent of all this. So now uh, for us to kind of get our mind about this, this is really, this part is all about what God has done in order to shore up and to encourage them and to bolster them in their walk with the Lord. At this juncture, this isn't about man's part. This isn't what Peter is trying to stress here. He's worried about what God has done. There's other places in the Bible that we'll talk about, and we'll see here even in this text, we'll talk about what we're supposed to do. But this election is not what about we're supposed to do, but what about what God has done in eternity past. All right? So we need to get our mind around this so you and I we shouldn't back up about it or start saying but this or but that in this text we'll see that this is the sovereign activity of God in salvation now remember what I told you that you and I that we don't have to fret about this that we don't have to try to build a case 
against this and try to discredit uh, this text of Scripture or argue about the sovereignty of God or even the free will of man. Why? Because in due time and at the right places, God talks about both of those doctrines and both of those doctrines, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, they are both in the Word of God, they are both equally true, and they are not contrary one to the other, no matter what my mind tries to process or your mind tries to process, it doesn't matter because they're both in the Word of God and they are both both true. All right? So that, that, that hurts our feelings when I say it doesn't matter what your mind processes. But it doesn't matter what your mind processes because both of these doctrines are in the Word of God and you nor I can we fully reconcile them together. As, as, as uh, Spurgeon says, he doesn't try to reconcile old friends. You see that in our mind, we can't do that, but we don't have to because they're reconciled in the mind of God. And that's all that matters. And so that I would encourage you, do not waste your life trying to reconcile the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. That with something that we are to believe and that we are to accept. And those people who say, I've got it all figured out, they're liars. All right? Because it, 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 I don't think that's possible. I really don't. Uh, if you have your handout, I want you to read the opening paragraph of that. Danny Aiken, Daniel Aiken, president of seminary. He's a sharp dude, sharp customer. He really is. And he's a, everything that I've ever read of him has been rock solid. And, and, uh, and I, there was a time I thought that I was going to get him in our pulpit one time, and that slipped through my fingers, but maybe one day, who knows? I want to read it. It says, I believe God predestines and elects persons to salvation, but does so in such a way as to do no violence to their free will and personal responsibility to repent of sin and believe the gospel. There is both tension and mystery in this doctrine as there is in our understanding of the Bible's inspiration and the doctrine of the person of Christ. Salvation is of the Lord. Any person who flees to Jesus for salvation will be saved. I believe both and I embrace both. If I were smart enough to say what he just said, I'd have said it. All right? So I believe that's as true a statement about those two doctrines as there is. A concise and true statement. Now, there have been volumes upon volumes that have written about both of those. All right? But I believe when it comes to being concise and clear and understandable, I believe that's as, as good a statement as you will hear when you're talking about free will and uh, election, all right? So our job is not to reconcile it. Our job is to believe, not to believe one over the other, but to believe both of them because in due time and in due place, both of them are taught in Scripture. Therefore, you and I must believe both of those things, all right?
But right now, right now, here, as he talks about the elect, this is about the sovereign activity of God. Now, secondly, he talks about the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification of the Spirit. So, first we see the work of the Father, and now we see the work of the Spirit. As we go on down through here, we're going to see the work of the Son. So again, we see that in salvation, the whole Trinity is involved in our salvation. So another Trinitarian text of Scripture, as we saw last, uh, saw Sunday as well. I tell you what, that's talked about more than you may think, obviously, the Trinity and how important that is. But so salvation is the work of the Father and, and His sovereign activity, Him choosing and setting His love on you. But it's also the work of the Holy Spirit, work of the Holy Spirit. And look what he says here, through sanctification of the Spirit. Now, uh, I'm, this is where I'm at, that most, most of the time when I think of sanctification, I think of after salvation, that part in which that, that God is, is honing and, and chiseling and making mo- me um, look more like Jesus Christ, the, the holiness factor in my life going up. All right, being more set apart unto God. That's what I think of when I think about sanctification. And that is a correct understanding of what sanctification is. But in this text of Scripture, that he is not talking about the work of the Holy Spirit post-conversion. Here, he is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit pre-conversion and bringing us and setting us apart and bringing us to the place of salvation. You see that no man will get saved on his own doing. It's only as the Holy Spirit of God draws you to the Lord. All right? And so here is what we see. The Holy Spirit that now He is drawing us, that He is wooing us to the salvation that that the Father uh, has has placed upon us, so to speak. And so the Father's work is in eternity past, but the Holy Spirit's work is in the right now, in the present. God the Father, from eternity past, that He did His work, the Holy Spirit is today in our hearts and lives, that He is drawing men, women, boys and girls to himself in present real time. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, says that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. Ah, that, this is really not part of it, but why were they damned? Because they believed not the truth. Not, no, not damned because they were predestined to hell. They were not damned because they didn't get baptized. Damned because they believed not the truth. All right? But, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, Because God hath from the beginning chosen chosen you to salvation through 
sanctification of the Spirit. Again, the same process that God in eternity past that He has chosen us, but now, today, present tense, that the Holy Spirit of God is working and active in the lives of men through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Hmm. We're in two. He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see God the Father. We see the Spirit is presently working. And then in Thessalonians here, he echoes what we're going to see next, that then we believe. That's the process. And so the third step we see is the sinner's response. We saw it in Thessalonians here, and here it is, through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Belief of the truth. That's what it says in Thessalonians. And here, he says, unto obedience. Ah, so he's been talking about the sovereignty of God, election, foreknowledge. Now... Now we get over here to man's free will unto obedience to belief of the truth. Now we now here he talks about that we as humanity that we have the opportunity to respond, to obey or disobey, to believe or not believe, that we, now it's our turn that he talks about that we must respond to what God has offered us. Ah, So even in this text that we see sovereignty and free will. Now are those two in competition with one another? Absolutely not. They work perfectly together. Do I understand that? Absolutely not. But they work perfectly together. They do. So, now, that sinners, we respond to the gospel, not not just because that's what we wanted to do, but because the Holy Spirit has wooed us. The Holy Spirit has drawn us. He has sanctified us, that He has set us apart unto Himself and made the gospel known to us. We have belief, faith, repentance. That is our part that we believe, have faith, that we repent. Then lastly, He says, and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I think this is fairly simply understood in that all of this is rooted and grounded in the fact that Jesus Christ accomplished salvation. (laughs) That's it. That Jesus Christ made all of this possible because that he was willing to give his own blood. It it has, you know, Old Testament connotation to it as you think about the temple and sacrifice and all those things that Jesus Christ, 
that his blood, that it is the, it is the pen that holds it all together, that it was Jesus Christ that accomplished the plan of God. It's, it's Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit that he pointed men to. It's Jesus Christ that men accept as their personal Lord and Savior. It's Jesus Christ that purchased our salvation. It's Jesus Christ that satisfied the just demands of a holy God. It's all tied up in Jesus. So, at the end of the day, it's a Jesus thing. It's about what Jesus has done. And through this text that we become very, very much aware that the three persons of the Trinity are all involved in your and my salvation. Now, when I was seven years old, did I, did I get all of that to 100%? No. Do I am now 48 years old? Do I have 100% of that figured out? No. Am I saved? Yes. Because it's not depending upon me grasping it all. It depends upon me believing it with all my heart and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to use these moments to encourage you in your life. That these doctrines that we find that are scary, that we don't understand, and we, we talk to people who say they do, don't get, don't get tore up over that. Know what the Bible says and know that it teaches those things. Embrace it and know that election, sovereignty, and free will are all taught in due place and due time. And that we... Do not get, you know, we don't get out in left field. Either side. Either side. Don't get in left field on either side. But we embrace the truth of both of these beautiful doctrines and know that God, God is not going to mess anything up. He never has. He's not going to start with you. He's not going to start with me. That God doeth all things well. As we finish, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Remember, these people undergoing persecution. These people were afraid for their life. They were afraid they were going to lose their home. They were afraid they were going to lose their job. They were, many of them were getting ready to get killed. And so he said, grace and peace be multiplied after he talked about our great salvation and how that God has set his affection on us and how that Christ Jesus, that he purchased us. All these things, and God made salvation available to us if we'll just believe. He was writing these introductory words that right out of the gate that he would encourage them. Right out of the gate that they would know that they had a rock to stand on. That right out of the gate that no matter what came their way, that God loved them.
cared for them. And he had it all worked out. God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. All working together to save their soul. And to take care of them and carry them to the very end. You know what, if God did that then, that plan is still in effect today. And I, I believe that for us, that we need to hear that no matter where we're at in life, that no matter what comes our way, that we're safe and secure in the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And that our salvation, that it's a, it's a God thing from beginning to end. And that you and I, that He makes all that available to us, that you and I, that we just must be obedient to it. That we must believe what He's done for us. Here we are tonight on a Wednesday evening. Oh, if there's somebody here tonight, say, Ronnie, I, I really, and I've looked over my life. I don't know that I don't know that I've trusted in him. I don't, I don't know when I when I walked the aisle, to be honest, it was just me wanting to get somebody off my back. And tonight I know what I need to do, and I feel convicted in my heart about it. Talking to a girl in my office right before church. That was her story. And she was in middle school. She knew what she needed to do. She just kind of went, went through the motion because she knew that was expected of her. She knew what had to be done. It wasn't until four years later in her life that the Lord God spoke to her heart and got real with her. And she knew what she needed to do. She had never been born again. She had gone through the motion, but it never happened in her life. She said, you know what kept me from it for the longest time? Just the embarrassment of it. Pride's going to keep more people out of hell than anything else will, I believe. Your pride, Christian's back there shaking his head tonight. As you remember a few weeks ago, Christian gave his heart to the Lord. He had played the game. His pride almost sent him to hell. But thank God that it didn't. Thank God they humbled himself up here at that altar that night and trusted the Lord. I wanted for somebody else here tonight. Just need to humble yourself before the Lord tonight. Just believe. Just be obedient. Trust in what Christ has done for you. Let's bow our heads. We'll have a work time of invitation. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that, uh, where we can open up your book and just think about a couple of verses of Scripture.